John chapter 4 will be in verses 43 through chapter 5, verse 15. A big chunk of scripture. A title of this message, if you're taking notes, is To the Desperate. To the Desperate. All right, so John says, or records, I should say. Now after two days, Jesus, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he had heard that Jesus came out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him, in, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and, and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came, come out of, come out of Judea into Galilee. Now reading that, I know there's probably half of you that probably had no idea what we just went over. So why don't we just kind of just backtrack for a second. What is this? Thing that he said in the beginning. It says Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Now Jesus is from Galilee. It says that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when it, when it talks about that, it means that Jesus is growing up a regular person, right? So people, he didn't have like these superpowers. He wasn't going around like healing bugs when they were sick and like taking toys and making them into like life-size animals. And he wasn't doing that. He was a, just a normal person. And that's what made it so hard for his brothers and sisters. Brothers, does he have sisters? Oh no, I don't know. I'll admit, I don't know. I don't think he had sisters. I think it was just brothers. But he had family and his own family found it hard to believe in him. Because they grew up with him. Like, we ate with you. We've, seen, like, we've changed your diaper, Jesus. How is it that you are the son of God? So it's very hard for his own people to accept him when they think he's a regular person. But now it says the Galileans received him. So how is it that it says, yeah, it's really hard for them to believe, and that's why the Galileans received him? Well, what it means is the Galileans, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we went over how Jesus, his first miracle was what? changing the water into wine. Very good. He changed the water into wine. Because of that, he became notorious in Galilee as this miracle worker. So the Galileans received him not based on his character, but on his works, what he was able to do. And so the rumor went out and people started to receive him not for who he truly was. And you know, you can be close to the gospel. You can be close to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and not receive it. You can hear the good news of Jesus all day and not be receiving who he is. People come to church sometimes to get things out of it that they really want, but not to give anything of themselves. People will come to church so that they can gain new friends, 
People come to church so that they can find their soulmate or receive things, but not necessarily give. That's one of the fundamental problems with the church today is a lot of people want to just take in, be fed, but not actually give back, not serve. That's why I'm always encouraging you guys to get out there, to serve, to evangelize, to be plugged into the body. It's so important that we're not just taking, but we're also giving. Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. And so Jesus goes into Galilee. That's setting the stage. And here's this this strange little uh, story that's told about Jesus seeing this nobleman, right? This nobleman comes up to Jesus and he's begging him. Now take that background. He's not the kind of guy that's like, I believe you're God. I believe you're the Messiah. Here's a guy who just wants him to take care of his earthly need. And so with that background, he says, come down before my son dies. Very different than the centurion, if you remember in a, a different part of the Bible. A centurion says, if you only speak the word, I know my son will be healed. This guy is very different. He says, you must come down and heal my son. Because he was desperate. He was at this point where he had lost all hope and he was willing to try anything. So why don't we pray and, and ask that the Lord goes before the time and helps us to see the, our own times in which we're desperate. And how the Lord can change everything. Father, I pray that you do just that, that you speak into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, it's very hard for us to concentrate. We're young people, myself included. And and sometimes, Lord, the enemy tries to get in there and tries to make us forget your promises, forget your goodness. But I pray, Lord, that for, for a brief moment in time that we be able to concentrate on your word and focus and hear what your Holy Spirit says to us this morning, morning, night. It could be night. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in verse 49, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Here we see a nobleman, a person of high rank and stature. He's in a moment of desperation. You know, it's easy to say that you don't need God when you think you have everything. Isn't that true? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I need God. If you have friends that think that they have everything, why would they need God? And it's kind of hard to evangelize to a person who doesn't think that they need anyone's help. But no matter how wealthy or popular a person can be, health and eternal security cannot be bought. You can't swindle your way. No matter how rich you are in this life, you can't keep yourself from what you don't know will happen. How are you going to keep yourself from getting into a car accident? How can you protect yourself and hire enough bodyguards to keep yourself from being assassinated? You can only have, uh, and I'm not saying you're going to be assassinated, but there's, there's no way to keep yourself from what you don't know is coming. Many of you saw on the news that famous actor Philip Seymour Hoffman died of a heroin overdose this past week. Popular guy, famous, one of the most famous actors of our time. And yet he passed away. Why? Because he he wasn't prepared. He didn't know. It's because no one can prevent the day of their death. God has an appointed time in, in which you will pass away. And we don't know what that time is. You can't avoid what you don't know will happen. But when people are desperate, they're willing to try anything. You know, when when a plane is about to go down, people tell you when you're, you know, the plane's about to crash, take your head and put it in between your knees. Like that does something, right? Like if you put your head in between your knees, you're going to be safe. But when you're desperate, you're willing to try anything. 
You see the clock and it says 11-11. You're like, okay, I'm going to make a wish because I'm desperate. And I need to make sure that what I'm hoping will happen. Maybe you're in need of direction from God. You've been praying. And so you're so desperate, you just flip to any page of the Bible randomly and point. You're like, Lord, just speak to me. I want you to speak to me. We'll try ridiculous things when we're desperate. It's the same with this nobleman. He wasn't genuinely seeking the Messiah. He wanted anyone to take care of this earthly need. And so because of that, you see in verse 48, Jesus gets upset. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. It's like, really? You, you need me to do these things. Otherwise, you're not going to believe. How many of us are in that same boat? You're not going to believe in God unless you see him do something miraculous. See a wonder. I used to pray so many times when I was 14. Lord, just flicker the light switch on and off. Just, just show me you're out there. Just, you know, a shooting star or something, a sign. You wanted to see those. But, you know, if that thing really happened, would you be satisfied with that one time? No, because you forget. And you know what? God has done miraculous things in my life. But even in those times that he's done miraculous things, you want more. You're like, oh, okay, well, that was cool. But is he going to continue to do things like that? And forgetfulness is often our enemy. So unfortunately, some Christians will experiment because they are desperate. They'll experiment with other things other than God because they want confirmation that they're on the right path. And so people will experiment with horoscopes and weird things. Even Saul, you remember in uh, 1 Samuel, it talks about Saul went to the witch of Endor. If you've seen that story, it's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible where Saul is like, all right, we're outlawing sorcery. And then he's like, but I'm going to dress up. And I'm going to go to a witch and I'm going to conjure up the spirit of Samuel. And whether he actually did or not is up for debate. But it's a weird story. And Samuel comes up from the grave. He's like, why did you call me? And then rebukes him and like slaps him metaphorically. And Saul's like, oh, well, I just, I needed your guidance. I needed your help. And he did something that was completely immoral, right? It's, he used sorcery, wrong means to get God's direction. And you know, you can have a good motivation for sin, you say, well, I, I just want God's voice. And you go through human means. You go through uh, the means that aren't of the Lord. So let me ask you this. When you find yourself in a desperate situation, who do you go to first? Oftentimes, when we're desperate, you'll go to your friends. you ask them for advice. You'll go to your family. Let's just say you're, you're in like the worst of all circumstances. Who do you go to first? You go to your family, you go to your friends, you go to the Lord. That is the most important thing, that you cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. You cast your burden upon the Lord, for he will sustain you, and he will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55, 22. Here's the first point for tonight. Our desperation must lead us to Jesus. Our desperation must lead us to Jesus, because only Jesus has the power over sin and death. If you're ever desperate in this life, you're ever in a moment where you can't go on any longer, you must be led to Jesus because only Jesus has the power that you're really looking for. There's no one greater than God himself. Let's look at verse 50. And this is what's so, so awesome is, okay, he's desperate, but he found the right person. He found God, the God of the universe. His desperation led him to the right person. And in verse 50, Jesus said to him, 
go your way, your son lives. I love that. He doesn't even have to go the whole way. He, this guy's walking like 25 miles all the way to meet with Jesus. And Jesus simply says, go your way, your son lives. You know, I always ask myself, what in, in the world could I possibly do to change someone's life? What could I say that would convince you guys that what I'm saying is like out of my own experience? I'm not just here because I, I get paid. I'm not just here because like I just feel like it's cool. I'm here because I genuinely believe what I'm saying. And I don't want you to see, I, I want to see you guys go down the wrong road that I've seen so many of my friends go. And so many of your own friends have gone down. You know, sometimes, th this, is, this is the real question behind all counseling, all preaching, is what can you possibly say? And you actually have people, when you have a last will and testament, you have a lawyer that comes alongside you to make sure that every single word counts, that no, no word is misinterpreted, every, uh, every ounce of your money gets to the right person, every uh, possession gets to that person that you want it to go to, so you have a person to make sure every word is accounted for because they don't want their words to be wasted. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus' words have the power to shape reality. God was the one who said, in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. He created things out of nothing. God was the same one. Jesus said, peace be still to the waves, and the storm completely subsided. Jesus breathed life into Adam's nostrils. And there was life. And he can do the same thing with you. When Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, in Matthew chapter 28, you can believe that. Why? Because Jesus' words have power to shape reality. They fill you. They will last and they will not return void. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they our life. Jesus doesn't just speak these empty words that pump you up and hype you up and then leave you empty. But Jesus' words themselves are life. If you're ever feeling down, you're ever feeling depressed, depression in the, in the heart of man, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, the Bible says, but a good word makes it glad. You need the word of God inside of your heart. Jesus' life Jesus' words are life itself. And you know, he, he asks us to challenge, challenge this. Go into the world and see if any philosophy, any mantra is able to satisfy, like the word of God. And when you come up empty, when you come back hungry, you can know that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's exactly what he said in Exodus Exodus chapter, Deuteronomy, I, I should say, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled the people of Israel. It says, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he, may make, he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. God allows you to go into the world and be empty. Go to those wells that don't fill you so that you realize that God is the only source. Man, I wish I knew that for a couple messages ago. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Jesus, the living word, never wasted a moment of his life. And you can know if there's anything that you ever, like, you ever feel like you just wish you had the words to say to someone, just preach the word of God. It will never return void. 
And if you come to Jesus, he has the power to redeem even your wasted moments, your sickness, your sin, your spiritually dying friends. Jesus, and here's our second point, Jesus has the power to turn desperation into restoration. Jesus can turn desperation into restoration. That is the power of God's word. And that's what we see all throughout the Bible. So we got to be like this nobleman. We have to simply believe the word that Jesus spoke to him because the word of God is trustworthy. You never have to question if God's lying. You ever go through your life and you're just like, you, you think you can trust someone, but they tell one lie and then you ask, well, like, what else did they lie about? What else are they hiding from me? You never have to question God because his promises are sure. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who else can you say that about? What friend can you say that I can trust them with anything? And if you are saying that about a friend, you're putting a misguided trust in that friend. Because they will fail you one day. Jesus Christ is the only one who will never fail you. Here's the third point. Your connection to God must outlast your desperation. This is so important, and this is the theme of tonight's message. So make sure you jot that down. Your connection to God must outlast your desperation. Look at verse 51, because this is what happens. If we just ended the story there, if we just ended the story where the nobleman talks to Jesus, Jesus says, go your way, your son lives, and the nobleman's like, yes, I got what I wanted. My son's alive. Awesome. The nobleman and his family wouldn't have been saved. They have been saved from physical death, but not from spiritual death. They will have missed out on what is most important. But verse 51, check out, check it out. It says, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Here's the thing. The nobleman could have went home and he could have rationalized, right? He could have been like, he didn't witness Jesus go over and, and touch his son. He could have went home and be like, awesome, he got better, that's great. He could have questioned, oh, maybe this, maybe it wasn't Jesus. Maybe he just got better. I heard a story of a guy who was searching for parking in New York City and it's so busy, no parking spots. If you ever try to park in New York City, it's a nice, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's bad. You're driving around, looking for that space, and he's praying, Lord, and now he has, to go, he has to go to the bathroom. So he's like, he's desperate. Desperate situation. Lord, please open up a spot. Just any spot, I'll take it. Just please, I need to use the bathroom. And then a spot opens up. He says, oh, wait, Lord, I found the spot. And he goes and parks into it. In the same way, what happens is sometimes you'll rationalize. The minute God comes through, isn't that exactly what we do? Like the minute that... God comes through for you, and you're praying, Lord, just answer this prayer, Lord, would you give me this thing? God gets in like, ah, I solved my own problems. This is great. That's the human nature. We are so forgetful, and God's like, really? Like, you were praying day and night, and I finally gave you what you wanted, and you completely forgot me and forgot to give me thanks. It's like the ten lepers. Jesus heals them, and only one comes back. Are you willing to be thankful? Are you going to make that connection to God when God comes through? Your connection to God must outlast your desperation. Because if you're only coming to God when you're desperate, you're not going to be a, a true follower of Jesus. 
You're only going to come to him when he's a genie, when he's giving you what you want. I think sometimes um, it's easy to rationalize God's providence as coincidence. And we say things like, Lord, show me who you want to bless today. Well, besides that person. God's like, I want you to just bless. I just want you to just talk to that person, encourage them. You're like, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't think you meant them. Like, I, I hate that person. And like, I know it says love your enemies, but really you could choose a different enemy other than that person. We mustn't rationalize God's voice. And when God provides for you, you must make that connection. I think many of us only seek God when we're desperate. Only when we're going through something. You know, Paul, he had a, a moment of desperation. He had a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he has a thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what it was. But he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. We knew it was bad enough that he was praying desperately to get rid of this thing. A tormentor from Satan, he calls it. But he says that the Lord spoke to him saying, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength works best in weakness. And sometimes we have these trials, we have these things, these moments of desperation, so it would lead us to Jesus. But God doesn't want to be your God just in your darkest moments. He wants to be your God in all of your moments. Not just while you're desperate, but every single day. But you might be saying, well, I'm doing fine right now. I don't, I don't think I really need God because I'm not desperate. I'm not going through a trial. And that's precisely the problem. You're blind and you don't even realize it. God doesn't want to just help you when you need help. You need help every single hour. And that's the song we sing. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And the older I get, the more I realize that, like, I am not, I am not capable of dealing with this life on my own. I need God every single stinking minute. I do. And the moment that we're proud and we're like, huh, I got this under control is the moment, like, the Bible says pride comes before the fall. Even non-Christians know that verse. And it's true. It's like the moment you're like, I am self-sufficient, it's like, bam, you get hit with the trial and you just fall on your knees. And it's God humbling us, showing us that we need him every single hour. So to also emphasize this point of your connection must outlast your desperation, let's go on to the next passage. And we're going to read all of it in chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. So after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gates a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time, apparently, into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Wait a minute, what in the world is this talking about? This sounds crazy. Just imagine for a second. A whole bunch of sick people, a multitude of sick people are sitting in this pool because they believe an angel just stirs up the water. And the minute he does, the first person to jump in the water gets healed. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? We're going to explain that in a second. But verse 5. It's just, you just imagine this? Like, what kind of cruel joke is that? Like, the first one that gets in gets healed. Oh, you didn't make it. Sorry. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? <laughs> no. It's only been 38 years. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> I'm good. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. 
you know, it's messed up. Like, sorry, too slow. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who, who was cured, uh, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Like, a man was crippled for 38 years. He takes up his mat and is like, you know, <laughs> you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath because that's working. Verse 11, I'll explain that in a second too. He answered them, uh, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. This is pretty much his fault. Then he asked them, who is the man who said to you, uh, take up your bed and walk? But the one who, healed, who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found, it, found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Well, that's all I have to, have to say for tonight. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you got excited. All right, so what is up with this wacky passage about the race to be healed with all these crippled people? Well, let's talk about it. This might alarm you. Verse 4, um, people, a lot of commentators believe, because we're not really sure if this really happened or if this is a commentary on the passage. Because this seems to be, most scholars believe that this is the belief of the day and not necessarily what happened. This is a superstitious belief that an angel really did come down and stir up the water. Did he? Maybe, but even the most early manuscripts we have of the Bible don't include that verse at all. So most people just say that it's a glossary note, a commentator's note, saying that this was the superstitious belief. What it does tell you, though, with this belief, is it's a perfect example of what religion is. Religion says, do your hardest, try your best, and get yourself first in line. But what Jesus does is he heals you by meeting you where you're at. See the difference? Legalism, religion says that you just got to try your hardest to get saved, to make your way into heaven, be a good person. But the problem is you're paralyzed, you're sick, you're lame. There's no way that you can get into heaven on your own power. And that's where Jesus says, rise up, take your mat, and walk. Your best isn't good enough. And we've seen in various scriptures in the past that we've been teaching through that the water pots, if you remember, in, when we had the water into wine, the water pots cannot produce wine. The wells can't produce living water. And the paralyzed can't produce enough strength to rise up. Here's your fourth point for tonight. The best thing that you can do is trust. That's it. The best thing you can do is trust. Your best will never be good enough, so the best thing you can do is trust. Even though Jesus has, even though only Jesus has the power to heal and rescue us, and he can, we saw every one of us have to answer that question in verse 6. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed of your sin? Do you want to be freed from that uh, trial that continually just trips you up? And then we would probably think, well, who in their right mind would want to stay paralyzed for 38 years? Well, if you look at history and you look at what we see in our, our nation, there are a lot of people that continue in sin even though they have the possibility of getting out. People that are homeless sometimes will go back into the streets even after they're found a home. 
people that smoke. A lot of people build up that habit of smoking and they talk about, well, you need to work yourself off nicotine. But even a study by Tel Aviv University says once the habit is established, people continue to smoke in response to cues and in situations that become associated with smoking. So in other words, it's not even the addictive quality of it. It's the fact that you don't know what to do with your smoking break. And not saying that smoking is a sin necessarily, but I'm giving an example of how destructive behavior uh, isn't just easily said, well, do you want to be made better? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a horse drink. Some people like to stay in, t- in, in their sin because they are comfortable. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, as we read a couple weeks ago, says, People love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Some people like to stay in their sin because their deeds are evil and they want to stay in the darkness. But those that want to be in the light, that hate their sin, will come out into the light. Other people truly want to be freed from their sin. And that's the question of desire. You know, that question is a simple question, but it has to be answered with the desire, the motivation. It's like people that are addicted to alcohol and they see what it's doing. They're fighting the habit, but are you willing to get out of it? Do you desire to be made well? People that are tempted and continually go to the same things, do you want to be made well? Jesus asked this yes or no question. And how did the man respond? Well, in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. Notice that it wasn't like, he wasn't like yes or no. He was like, I have nobody to help me. He didn't answer that question the right way because Jesus asked him a question of desire and he answered with an answer of capability. But the question isn't, do you have the capability to make yourself well? It's, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus can. And some of you, I'd have to ask you that question. Do you, want, do you want to be freed of your sin? Do you want to be rid of those things, of those temptations, of those evils that continually visit you? And you might respond by, well, I can't do it. Every time I try, I always, I always trip up. I always fail. The question isn't, are you going to fail? The question is, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus can heal you. It's not the desire. It's not the question, do you want to be made well and you should go help yourself? Because that's useless. It's not solved that way. The question is, do you want to put your trust in Jesus? Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. This man was really discouraged because he thought the only means of getting well was being put into the pool. And Jesus told him to rise up. And by that very action, in the moment, he was made well. I love this picture because it wasn't like Jesus like healed him and then he stood up. It was in the moment, in the action of trusting in Jesus that he was made well. Some of you are like, well, I need to see God work in my life. He needs to clean me up first before I, I, I know that this is the right thing to do. Put your trust in Jesus. Come to him. Surrender to him. And then you will be made well. Trusting in Jesus is active. It requires a step of faith, a leap in the dark. That's why we're calling this series A Leap in the Dark. Because you don't know all the particulars about what you believe, but you know this is the truth. And you're putting your trust not in a statement of faith necessarily. You're putting your belief and your trust in a person, Jesus Christ. I also love how he was told 
to remove the mat. What this shows me is he was removing the chance of relapse. Because you see, by picking up his mat, he was taking his place out of line. So someone else could just sneak into his spot. Oh, he's got a really good spot right next to the pool. So I'm going to go sit there instead of him. So what he did by taking up his mat is he took away any chance of him going back to that place. And you see, in your life, you will have to make the choice to pick up your mat and not return to those evil things again. And you might say, well, I need to, I need to witness to those friends. I need to keep those connections with those people, those people that I keep smoking weed with. And I have to keep those connections with those people that I, I you know, always curse around me and stuff because I need to witness to them. I need to shine light. Okay, maybe in the future, but even when that happens, Jesus always sent his disciples out in pairs of two, not alone. Do you have another Christian brother that's going to go with you? And so you need that time for healing. You need to take up your mat and walk. You need to walk away from that situation. You need to be healed. You're not in that place where you're ready and strong enough to go and be a light and a witness. So remove those people, remove those mats, and walk. Walk away. And then in time, Jesus will give you the chance to shine that light in twos, not by yourself. Here's uh, the next point. Well, let's go to verse 10. We're almost done. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. See, religious people always want to look holier than you, so they'll put more regulations on you. And the Pharisees, that's exactly what they did. They were the religious rulers and leaders of the day, and they, pr they prided themselves in how many things they could do. And so even though this wasn't the purpose of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made a day of rest so that you could relax for one day. You could sleep in. You didn't have to work. God did that intentionally to help us. And the Pharisees saw that and said, well, let's, let's see how we can be more holy than everyone else. And we're going to make 39 other regulations on, on what constitutes work. And so picking up a mat was constituted work. It was like more work to obey the Sabbath than it was intended. They completely missed the point. And so these Pharisees and these rulers said, um, excuse me, you're picking up your mat. And they're criticizing this poor guy who finally got healed for picking up his mat. And, they, and, and so what's really interesting about this, though, is the fear that was incited in this guy. Because you'd imagine he's like, um, excuse me, I just got healed. But no, he didn't say that at all. Instead, he said, uh, ooh, I don't know. Um, the guy who, there was some other guy, and he told me to pick up my mat. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I got healed. I just got excited. I obeyed this guy who healed me. He blamed it on Jesus. This cowardly old man just received a miraculous healing and didn't have the courage to stand up to persecution. You know, a lot of us might be bold in youth group, but not in our schools. You'll be really bold when you're around the people of God, you're in the presence of God, you raise your hands. Will you be bold when no one else is around? Will you stand up for Jesus when no one else is standing? You know, if you're not using it, you're going to lose it. If you're not practicing practicing this not just here but outside it's going to be harder and harder to stand up for Jesus in a society that is complete, completely anti-God and you see that in news media even some of the most popular pastors of our day and this is one of the big things in our nation in in the church in general some of the biggest pastors in our day are becoming cowards because they don't want to stand up for what the Bible believes and teaches because they're afraid of losing their fan base and offending people if those most famous pastors are cowardly, how will we stand up if we're not even taking those small steps of being bold in our schools, bold in our communities? 
We need to take those steps. And I'm saying that for myself too. I failed yesterday. I went to Chipotle and there's like a bunch of high school kids there. And I was just like, oh man, high schoolers in my way. I'm trying to get Chipotle. I rhymed unintentionally. In the line and the whole time I'm waiting, it like, takes an extra like 15 minutes. I'm just like, this is an inconvenience. And I leave there and I was just like, oh no, <laughs> this was an opportunity and I missed it. And I just completely didn't even think about it. But you know why? It's because I haven't been challenged, I think. I haven't been challenging myself to do that. So I wish, like, I'm driving home, and then it just occurs to me, like, what, what the, how did I miss that? So it's not just you guys. It's me, too. We need to all go out. And we're going this Sunday, if anyone wants to come, by the way. I'm not going to remind you again. You should just know. You should write it down if you really want to come. Sunday, we're going to go evangelize. I'm not going to tell you where because this recording goes online. But we're going evangelizing. Come talk to me afterwards if you want to go. We need to stand up to persecution. We need to stand up to a world that is anti-God. This man's problem, I think, the reason why he didn't stand up is found in verse 13. Ready? Here we go. Verse 13, it says, But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. You see, his connection to God did not outlast his desperation. As soon as he was healed, bam, Jesus is gone. I'm healed. I'm good. I'm walking away. He didn't spend time with God. He didn't know his God. And if you spend time in the word, you're spending time with the people of God, you're memorizing verses, the natural overflow will be to go out and be courageous, to be bold. As we talked about a number of months ago in Acts chapter 4, talks about the boldness of Peter and John. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they realized they had been with Jesus. That's what happens. You spend time with God. You have that undeniable experience, and you're able to live that kind of life. I think one of the things he didn't realize, you know, he knew a lot of things about God, but he didn't know God himself. And that's one of the problems today is that we can know a lot of facts and statistics about Jesus and his life and read the Bible. Do you spend time with God? Are you reading your Bible? It's 2014. How have your devotions been? I read your Bible every day or every other couple days. I'm telling you, there's nothing more life-changing than forming a good habit of reading your Bible. It could be as easy as reading a psalm a day, but form a habit. And by forming that habit, you're able to grow a little bit more with Jesus. He didn't realize, here's our, our fifth point for tonight. The one who can heal you can also defend you. The one who can heal you can also defend you. If he's powerful enough to, to raise this guy... To, to give him strength in his legs, he's also capable of defending him from his accusers. We can stand up to any persecution when we remember that Philippians 4.13, everyone knows it. I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. We don't have to fear, but that means we have to know who God is. In order to not fear man, we have to know God and fear him. Here's our sixth and last point for tonight. Continuing in sin means continuing in pain. Continuing in sin means continuing in pain. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Here's something that you guys may not know. Everyone look up here. So everyone knows that just because you're sick, and we know later on in John chapter 9, there's a guy 
who's blind from birth. And people ask Jesus, is it because of his sins or is it because of his parents' sins that this guy was born blind? And Jesus says it's neither, but that the power of God could be shown through him. And we're going to learn about that in a couple of weeks. And so the, the, the notion that people had back in the day was that your sin was directly related to your physical illness. And so if you're sick, you're blind, you're crippled, that's because you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong. And we know that's, that, that's not simply true in all the cases, but there are some illnesses and sicknesses that are a result of our sin. That's important to know. Just because not all of it is related to sin doesn't mean that all of it is. We know that if you um, sexually transmitted diseases are a direct result of sin. You wouldn't have that if you weren't going against God's commands. It's the same thing with people that continually indulge in alcohol and you have liver problems and you have liver disease or cancer. It's related to the sin that you're in. So continuing in sin, here's what you need to know though. I'm not trying to say that you're gonna, just because you're sick, you have a cold, that, that means that you sin, because that's obviously wrong. But some sickness is a result of sin. But even if it's not real physical illness, we need to know that all sin causes pain. Whether it's physical or mental, emotional, spiritual, all sin, continuing in sin, means continuing in pain. We hurt God, we hurt our friends, our family members. If you're indulging in sin, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting everyone around you. The person who in, in, engages in pornography isn't just hurting themselves, and that's what the lies of Satan. No one else knows, no one else sees, and this isn't going to affect anyone. You bet it is. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your friends. You're not going to be able to hold people accountable. You're going to feel guilty every single time that you, you talk and preach the word of God and share Bible verses with your friends. Satan is the accuser, and he always has that, that foot in the door. He says, I know who you really are. And it's not just pornography. It's any kind of sin. Satan loves to keep that hold on people's lives. But you don't have to have that hold. You don't have to give them that, that foot in the door. You can be cleansed from any and all sin. And then the one who heals you is the one who can defend you. Jesus can stand by you and be, and, and be the one. You know, it says in 1 John, it says, When our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. When our very heart is deceitfully wicked and accuses us, you're no good. Who do you think you are? You're a sinner. I know who you really are. Jesus is the one who tells you, no, I see Jesus in you. My son died for you. He loved you so much, loved the world so much that he came into the world and died for your sin. That's the love and the power of God. But we also have to know, and this is so important, that a person who knows the truth but returns to sin is not in good shape. It says in 2 Peter verse 20, verse 20, uh, verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have, having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a so having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Jesus says, if you return to your sin, that's like a dog returning to his vomit and eating it all over again. You're like a pig that wallows in the dirt, in the mud, in the mire. 
And some of us have to be in that place where we're like the prodigal son, where you're eating with the pigs. And you're just so miserable where you're at. You're like, you know what? I am just so frustrated being here. I don't care. I know, I know how good it is to be in God's house. I'm going to risk whatever it takes to get back. You have to be in that place. You have to come to that place. Every single person who is so sick of their sin that they're willing to get out of it. No matter what the addiction, no matter what the, the temptation, you have to be frustrated with your sin because you see how much it hurts other people. It hurts yourself. And it ruins your chances of effectiveness in the future. But... The good news of Jesus is in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Is that it's not about you crawling out of the mire, is it? It's not about you digging yourself out of the dirt. It's not about you getting yourself out of the, the pigsty. But it says in Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, pay attention to this. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. God is the one who heals you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I want you to key on this. Some of you have been fighting. Some of you have been desperate. Your desperation, as we said today, has to lead you to the, to the cross, to Jesus Christ. Any other person will not be able to save you. You have to be in that place where you're just so sick of the mire, you're so tired of it, that you're willing to come to Jesus because you know that Jesus is able to heal you. God's word is powerful enough to heal you. And he's able to turn your desperation into restoration. But your connection to God must outlast that desperation. You have to be willing to stick it out even when things turn out good, even when things turn out bad, knowing that God is faithful regardless of what happens. And then the one who heals you will defend you from any and all people that come to accuse you of whatever it is. And realizing that God is faithful in any circumstance. He's the one who brings you out of the pit. He's the one who brings you out of the mire. He's the one who says, you've been trying so hard to, to run this race to heal yourself when I'm here to heal you. But don't turn back to your sin. Don't turn back to your ways. It's going to make it so much harder. The more you continue in sin, the more you continue in pain. When we keep fighting it on our own strength, we're always going to lose. So it takes the, the person that's going to humble themselves and say, God, here I am. I am that paralyzed man. I am that guy who's been crippled for 38 years, and has been trying so hard to get into that pool. And Lord, I need you to touch me right now. So we're going to sing some songs right now. And while we're singing some songs, I'm going to ask that if you need prayer for anything, or I'm going to have leaders in the back, and we're going to be here to pray with you. And I know what you're probably thinking right now. What if everyone sees me stand up? It's going to look awkward. They're going to think something's wrong with my life. Well, who cares? There, there are things wrong with everyone's life. We are all desperate. We all need Jesus. And we all need healing. No matter how good we look on the outside, we all have dirty insides that need cleansing, myself included. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed of what God can do in your life. God wants to heal you and God wants to set you free tonight.
So if that's you, don't sit in the middle. Don't be worried about people that are, you'll get in their way. Or you'll have to stand over them and it'll be awkward. You have to be so sick of the mire, so sick of the mud that you're willing to get up and go back to the Father's house. Say, God, I don't know why I did it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. The best thing that you can do is trust in Jesus. Nothing else will do. You need to put faith. You need to take a leap in the dark and take that step. Say, God, I am trusting in you. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know that you can heal me. So the rest of us, while everyone else is praying, we're going to sing some songs in just a response to the Lord of what he's done in our lives and how, how much we need him. That we want to keep that connection beyond the desperation. But many of us know we are desperate, aren't we? We need God so bad. Every hour, we need him. Father, I pray for those that are here right now, that they would hear your voice calling them. Lord, that you would stir up hearts right now to come to you, that they would be so sick of those wells that will never fill them, never satisfy them. Lord, that their, their mourning could be turned to joy, that you would turn that water into wine. Lord, that you're good. You'd show them your goodness and your faithfulness tonight. Lord, I pray that some people be humble tonight, broken. Maybe even some people that just haven't felt bold enough but want prayer for boldness. I pray, Lord, that you speak to those people and cause them to ask for prayer, to ask for a filling of your spirit, to ask for your help. Because we all need it, Jesus. We come to you in Jesus' name.